podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by the proud owner of not one, but two foam hands, Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Do you have any idea how unhelpful it is to have a package like that turn up when you're trying to pack to move house? (laughs) The best part is I knew you were moving as well. (laughs) Unbelievable. And I, I, I will just give a shout out at this point to whoever packed these foam, let me repeat, foam hands in bubble wrap. <laughs> well, they're very important. I mean, you wouldn't want your foam hand getting damaged. No, so, I'm just surprised they didn't come in styrofoam packaging as well. I'm, I'm just tr- absolutely thrilled. So for those that aren't aware, a few weeks back, after we had beaten Villarreal and qualified for the Champions League final, Liverpool released these Paris foam hands. Carl discovered them while we were on a podcast and was outraged. So I ordered him two of them. Completely forgot about them. And they turned up at his house yesterday. I, re- I knew they were coming because I got an email from the Liverpool shop the night before. I'd completely forgotten about them other than that. And if you're wondering why I got him two of them, But he has two hands. I didn't want one hand feeling unloved. So I hope you enjoy your foam hands, Mr. Matchett. Um, We did obviously play some slight shenanigans on you to get your address out of you. I had to bring in the big guns to get your address. Otherwise, I was going to have to send them to the Indies head office. And I didn't think that would go down all that well. Uh, they probably would have been torn up by somebody else on the sports desk, so uh, probably just as well. And I've just realised what happened there. So uh, I forget now <laughs> if it was Greg who was in on it who, who suggested that I needed to give some sort of official details. Mm. Yeah, nice one. Nice one, fellas. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got in touch with Edward. Edward got in touch with Greg. Greg got in touch with you. And the address worked its way back to me, uh, along with the knowledge that you would that you were would be moving house quite soon. Uh, so congrats on the new gaff. Hope it's nice. Hope you enjoy it. And um, enjoy your foam hands. They better make the move with you. If I find out they found their way into the rubbish, I'm going to be very upset. I, I've already decided I'm going to um, donate them one each to my niece and nephew next time I'm over in Spain. And they will spend probably the entire weekend that I'm there hitting me over the head with them. Outstanding. That is exactly the purpose of a foam hand. Anyway, we have very important business to discuss Saturday night in Paris, well, in Stade Denis, just outside of Paris, Liverpool, Saint Denis, not Stade Denis, Saint Denis, Liverpool will take on Real Madrid in the Champions League final, the third European Cup final to be, t- to be contested by these two clubs. 
We won in 1981. They won in 2018. Carl, what's your initial feelings on this game? Something along the lines of... <laughs> and lots of other noises besides. Yeah. Um, on, on a, uh, you know, more not completely mad, can't stand the thought of waiting 17 hours after waking up for the actual game to kick off sort of level. Reasonably speaking, we, sh- we go into the game as favourites. We go into the game from a, a real position of strength and confidence. And to be perfectly honest, even back before uh, the semi-finals had been played, it was Real Madrid I wanted to meet in the final. Mm. Uh, aside from the fact that I just don't want Man City in the final and I don't want to play Man City, you know, 17 times a season or anything like that. Real Madrid is much more of a European Cup final feel to it, of course, rather than playing someone else domestic. And also, you know, I've watched Real Madrid all season long. I know what they are. I know what they're like. I'm very, very confident Liverpool could beat them. I was then. There's no reason to not be now. You know, if we go into the game and, well, we'll get into the team news, of course, as we go along. But if we were missing two or three key players in particular, maybe you could make a case that it would be a different matter. But aside from you know, nerves and the fact that it's a final and anything can happen. And there are several Real Madrid characteristics and traits that we do need to be aware of. Mm. Liverpool should still win. Yeah, they should. And it's a weird thing because this is the fifth Champions League final since 2005. Obviously you had 05, 07, 18, 19 and now. And genuinely, Carl, this is the most confident I've been before one. I know we played Spurs last time and we were heavy favourites to beat Spurs, but I think the fact that it was an English club is what had me doubting myself and, and doubting that the team could, you know, could get it done. But at the same time, I'm still really nervous because it's the biggest game in club football. Now, they're a very special European club. 13 European Cups, you can add any two other clubs together and you can't outstrip their number you have to add us and Milan together to match their number or Bayern and Milan whichever way you prefer to do it they have dominated this tournament they won five in a row in the 50s they won in 66 then they had their sort of quiet period where the only final they got to was 81 against us they'd lost I think in 62 and 64 they lost in 81 to us Between 66 and 98, they didn't get to a single final. They got back in 98, they won. They won again in 2000. They won again in 2002. Then they had another little gap. And then, obviously, 14, 16, 17, and 18, they won four and five years. The three in a row under Zidane is obviously historic. This is a team that they haven't lost a champion or European Cup final in their last seven visits to this game like there is something about them that does does cause you to be nervous this club is just a little bit different to the rest we we always talk about Mm. how magical we are in Europe but they're even another level above that I would say yeah no no question about that this is uh, personally I think us two and AC Milan are like the the absolutes of European football. I know Bayern obviously have a lot of wins as well, but for some reason I just don't quite associate them with that. Maybe because there's more domestic dominance there or something, I'm not sure. But either way, Real Madrid are the outstanding 
club of European football history, the single one, and there's a long way between themselves and anybody else. But how many of those recent finals that you've just mentioned did they go into as even arguably second favourites? I would say none of them. So I, I looked at I looked at this the other day, and when you look at the the finals that they played in, so obviously you start in in ninety eight. Now you could make an argument that in ninety eight Juventus were every bit as good as them. You could make an argument that that was a, a toss up game, but they were absolutely favourites in two thousand over Valencia, absolutely favourites in two thousand and two over Bayer Leverkusen, absolutely favourites against Atletico Madrid in 2014, even though Atleti had won the league that year, the feeling was still that Atleti didn't quite have enough left in the tank for that final. And obviously that's what happened. Atleti ran out of steam having gotten the game to extra time. Yeah, had the same, they did. They had a bunch of injuries. Same thing in, in uh, 2015-16. Atleti were running out of steam at the end of that season. Real were favourites. They were absolutely favourites in 2017. And they were massive favourites in 2018 because we were only really starting to get going at that point. Virgil had just arrived five months earlier. It was the first season of Mo. The front three had only been put together that year. The midfield was still, well, it was bang average is what it was. And we were playing Loris Karius in goal and Dejan the Pebble Lovren at centre-back. So Real were massive favourites in that game. They've never gone into a Champions League final, certainly in the time I've been watching. So you can take 81 out because that was before my I was born in 82. They've never gone into a Champions League final in my lifetime or a European Cup final in my lifetime without being favourites. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's an absolute... At the very least, an interesting position um, of change there for them. It's something different for them to cope with. I don't expect that to be uh, an issue. You know, it's not something that's necessarily going to be, you know, on the minds of Tony Cruz or Luka Modric or anything like that. But it, it does still add a bit of a different dynamic. It's the same as you know when Liverpool had a terrible record against Man United for years and years, and yet now you look when you go into the game, there's only ever one favorite. There's only ever one team trying to play football. Mm. There's only ever one team likely to win the game. It is. A turnaround. It does make a difference, possibly more to, you know, the Liverpool side of the equation, the the different favourites rather than the underdogs who previously were the great ones. I think that's probably more the way around. It makes a difference. And the other thing which might be interesting to monitor is how the fans in the stadium react, because obviously, you know, Real Madrid they've had this incredible run all the way through where they've been behind and found a time in the match where they can get on top and score the goals they need and go through. But you go back to the PSG game, the Chelsea game in particular, the period of the game where they're behind and looking like they're going out, their fans are so, so unhappy. They're so mm. anti-everything about the team, so anti-chanting things at the director's box, everything else. So it would be interesting to see how that reaction you know, extrapolates across a final when it's not on home soil and so on. And, uh, of course also that sort of lingering resentment that we all have uh, towards the other third of the stadium that's not necessarily going to be fans of one team or the other yeah yeah exactly right let's let's look at real's path to the final then so in their group they had inter milan sheriff tiraspol and shakhtar donetsk inter were the clear 
you know, strongest other team here. They beat them 1-0 away. Then they lost 2-1 at home to Sheriff Tiraspol, which is maybe the biggest shock ever in the history of the European Cup. They go and they hammer Donetsk, then they beat them at home, then they beat Sheriff away, and then they beat Inter Milan at home. So it was a fairly straightforward group, I think it's fair to say. They won five, lost one, and came through top of the group. Then they played PSG, and they lost 1-0 away, and they got completely dominated for the majority of that game. It took a very late Mbappe goal. Now, part of why they were dominated is that Ancelotti set them up to be really defensive. And as you've just mentioned, in the Chelsea game when things went wrong, the fans went bananas. After that game, Ancelotti out was trending on social media. The fans had just had enough. They couldn't understand why Real played in such a negative way. Go into the second leg, Mbappe scores after 39 minutes. Paris Saint-Germain are absolutely rampant and probably should be two or three up. Don't get the goals and then do what Paris Saint-Germain have been known to do in the European Cup. They choke and Benzema gets a hat-trick in 17 minutes. Now, credit to Real, credit to Benzema. But how much of that is, is Real being Real and how much of it is PSG being PSG? Because we can go back through the years and find plenty of examples of PSG doing just this, of having that lead, looking comfortable, looking like it's an unassailable unassailable position and falling apart. Yeah, yeah, they do have a habit of doing that. And I have to say, it still takes a big, um, not not a big team, but a big um, aura of the team, if you like, real self-belief, that knowledge in the stadium and everything that the team is good enough and has done before to make that comeback. I mean, even if you think about the Barcelona one, um, prior to that with Sergio Roberto, normal teams, let's say just a good team, a good, I don't know, maybe an Inter Milan, maybe a Russia Dortmund, they probably still wouldn't do it because they haven't had those huge, enormous successes on the back of things like this, like Liverpool and Champions League final in 2005, mm. for example. Um, they're, 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 I've said this before, that in the Champions League especially, it does make a difference. You know, Having that knowledge of mad things can happen and that your team is capable of producing them, it makes a real difference. And you know, there's just the same as ourselves, Real Madrid are one of those sides who have been capable of doing this year after year. They've got the same group of players who have done it year after year. You mentioned the Atletico Madrid uh, final from a few years back, which went to extra time. Real Madrid were rubbish for quite a lot of that game. I know they dominated possession and they, you know, they, they won comfortably by the scoreline in the end, but they didn't really do much with it until they went to extra time. And then that was their moment. They seized it and they absolutely wiped the floor in extra time. And this is what that group of players, still with a few of them at the club, has always been about. The management. You know, they've had a lot of very, very different styles of uh, head coaches there over the last decade or 15 years even. Um, but one thing that the the best of them have done have been really good man managers and knowing when to just step away from the tactical things and let those players do their thing. And Ancelotti is probably one of the biggest in world football in regard to that approach, you know, not just having to micromanage every single metre of where they stood on the pitch. Just, just let them win in whatever way it needs yeah. to be. Keep them as a group and let them do their thing. He's the ultimate kind of, you know, go out and express yourself type of manager. He puts players in positions to maximize what they can do, but he doesn't get too bogged down in the, in the minutiae. So after beating PSG, they draw Chelsea, 
defending European Cup winners. But I think we all agree, one of the weaker European Cup winners of the last 30 years. You put them there with the last Chelsea team who won it, us in 05, Porto in 04. Like, they're not one of the great European Cup winners. So they beat Chelsea 3-1 away from home. Again, Benzema gets a hat-trick. And they go into the home leg, comfortable advantage, looking like there's no way Chelsea are coming back. And then they're 3-0 down, Carl. Chelsea absolutely wipe the floor with them. And are three up and cruising. And then once again, Real are reliant on late magic. So Rodrigo scores, sends the game to extra time. And then Benzema scores in extra time to win them the game. But they still, to win them the tie, they still lost that game. And they looked really poor. It was actually 75 minutes that Werner scored the third goal. For 75 minutes, Chelsea wiped the floor with them. And that's not a good Chelsea team. Like, it's a Chelsea team that finished way, way off the pace in the Premier League. So then they go into the semi-final, and they go to the Etihad in the first leg, and City demolished them. And somehow, by one of the great flukes in the history of the game, it only ends up 4-3. Whereas, that game should have been like 8-3, or 7-2, or something... Far more lopsided based on the dominance of City on the night and the chances that they had in the game. I mean, missed multiple sitters. The there were other half. chances. In the, the first half was just a procession, yeah. wasn't it? It was one of the most one-sided late-stage Champions League matches I've seen. Like It was unbelievable. I know Real still had a couple of chances and maybe even could have scored one more than they did. But City missed, I would say, five like top tier sort of opportunities and at least one of those they didn't even take a shot in the end they overplayed they got the decision wrong of which way to go they had a an overload down one of the channels where they could easily have just played one pass and square across for a tap in there was several situations there that could have been what five by half time mm, just with easy. A, just with a normal level of finishing easily five by half time so you go into the second leg and City score first. Mares scores on 73. And it's over. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, the second leg was Gre- Grealish then misses two absolute sitters in the second leg. Mares scores. Grealish misses two sitters. Real are dead. And then City do what City have done in this competition in the past and find new and exciting ways to make a mess of things. Rodrigo scores on 90. Rodrigo scores again 60 seconds later, forces the game somehow into extra time. Ruben Diaz is all over the place. Heads are gone. And then Diaz brings down Benzema in the penalty box on 95 minutes. Benzema steps up and scores. And that's it. So again, you've got a situation where Real, as against Chelsea, have been just battered in one of the games. And as against PSG... They've come back to win, but they've come back to win against a team with a history of choking at this kind of stage of a tournament. So again, you do sort of have to ask how much of it is Real and how much is, is or how much of it is a mentally weak Manchester City team. 
And I do believe City are a mentally weak team. I think any team with a half-decent defence would have taken the title off them on Sunday gone. They go 2-0 down at home to Villa with all that pressure on them. And it was Villa making poor substitutions and having poor defenders that allowed them back into that game. And Robin Olsen and goal obviously doesn't help either. But I, I just I don't know how much of it you attribute to Real. Obviously quite a bit of it because it's very impressive the way they've been able to do it round after round. But I'd also look and say, well, PSG habit of doing it. Chelsea, not very good. And Man City, habit of doing this. We're not like those clubs. We don't have that weak mentality. No, I would agree. I, I wonder if that does mean that we're going to see Real Madrid come and play, not maybe to quite the extent, but do you remember the first leg against PSG? Where that real defensive sitting yeah. in type of style. Yeah, I wouldn't expect them to be like quite that um, extreme because that day they literally did come to sit on the edge of their penalty box and do nothing. They did not care. Nil-nil, one-nil, that was absolutely fine for them. They didn't really bother too much about it at all. So I wouldn't expect it to be quite that bad, but I do wonder whether they will uh, look to have at least a few spells in the game where they just say to us, have some possession. We're just going to sit in shape. We're going to just ask you to break us down and we're going to be able to exploit counter-attacking opportunities down the left-hand side in particular, of course. But basically, they're not going to be too bothered who who dominates play, who has the most possession. They've come through enough games with enough styles of play in the opponent to know that they can just wait for their moment, to be perfectly honest. They can just bide their time, wait for us to overcommit or to make a mistake or for them just to get this moment where Benzema does his thing all by himself if necessary or Vinicius Jr. does it all by himself. They've got the capacity, they've got the quality to do that and I don't think that you know, there, there's going to be any um, impetus from Real Madrid, for example, to, to show themselves as a superpower, to show the world that they have to be the best team throughout the 90 minutes. It's not. It's just about getting the win, same as it has been all the way through. Yeah, because, I mean, look, you, you go back through the Champions League finals, they weren't the best team in the two against Atletico Madrid. You know, they, they needed a 93rd-minute goal just to take it to extra time in 2014. Atleti had been flawless for 92 minutes. And that was all they had in them. And once Ramos scored and it went to X time, it was it was always going to be a Real win. But what strikes me, Carl, about about Real is that they have relied heavily on kind of the magic of the Bernabeu. We always talk about the magic of Anfield on a European night, and they have the magic of the Bernabeu. They lost away to PSG, needed a magnificent performance at home. They did beat Chelsea away, but Chelsea's home form this season has been terrible. They only won nine Premier League games at home this year. They weren't a good home team this season. And then they needed that burnabout magic to bring them back in the second leg when they looked dead and buried. And then the same thing against City. They have struggled a little bit away from home in the knockout. Well, they've struggled a lot away from home in the knockout phases, losing to PSG, losing to City, and being dominated in both games. How much of a factor is that then going into a neutral venue game where they're not going to have their home fans behind them? They're in all likelihood going to be outnumbered in the stadium because, as we know, Liverpool fans are very creative about finding ways to get their hands on tickets in the lead-ups to games. So 
in all likelihood, there'll be more Liverpool fans there than Real fans. And Real just, they don't look the same team away from the Bernabeu, in my opinion. That's probably fair, to be fair. I mean, they've they won 13 of 19 in La Liga away from home, just to you know, add a, another layer, which is the same as Liverpool did. Um, we got one more draw than they did. They got one more defeat. So not a huge difference in terms of actual results domestically. Uh, the one area where you could say there's a bit of difference is our goal scoring. You know, goals conceded was only 17 to 18, but we scored 45 away from home, whereas they only scored 36. So that's that's quite a big jump. When you add in maybe just one point is not that much, but the goals scored, maybe the, the style of play is a bit more similar. The Premier League is, is very yeah. simply a stronger league than La Liga as well. Yeah, yeah I mean... Yes, overall, I would say so. The, the the bottom of the Premier League, I think, has been worse than the bottom of La Liga this year, but probably the bottom half, that group above the you know relegation zone to the mid-table, has been better in uh, in the Premier League this year. Um, Real have lost Real... four, year, four games in the European Cup this year, Carl. We've lost three in all competitions. Like, yeah, look, like we're a much start, harder team to beat than they are. We are. We're a better team than they are. It's, it is that simple. You know, we, we have played better than they have. We played more consistently to our style than they have, and we've got more wins than they have. I'm just trying to think here in terms of, um, you know, and not just a neutral venue, but just a one-off match, which matters more? You know, it's is it the, the way that you play all the time, home or away, whichever the opponent, you're going to go all in on your style and Liverpool can do what they do. The vast majority of the time, that has led to Liverpool winning. Now, Real Madrid have played their way. They have played really poorly. Some of these have got them wins anyway. Some of them have got them wins out of absolutely nothing. They've relied a lot more on, I would say, individual quality on the, whatever you want to call it, team spirit or comeback ability or whatever word you want to apply to all these late results that they've had. And it's not just in the Champions League. They've done this domestically as well this season several times. Um, Whether you think that that is more across, you know, the biggest and most pressurised of situations. I think it's very, very evenly matched in terms of one squad to the other with their... Uh, knowledge of winning big games now. You know, Liverpool have come from yeah. a long way behind, but this team that we have knows how to do it now. We've we've won two cups this season already, even without considering the bigger prizes that they've won previously. So I don't think that there's really too much to worry about in terms of, you know, the Carvajal, Modric, Alaba in that group now, Benzema, even Courtois probably. All of these have really good winning mentalities and experience and know how to get over the line and get the job done, but so do ours. I kind of think that Liverpool have reached that level now. Uh, yeah, they would have I, I agree with that. quite comfortably previously. I do agree with that, and, and I said, I think I said it to you. I said, I know I said it in a couple of different podcasts. When everybody wrote them off against City when the draw was made, my argument was, why are we writing off a team that knows how to win this competition in favor of a team that knows only how to bottle this competition? Real are a team of winners. Carvial has been there for all four Champions Leagues. Um, Alaba won two with with Bayern. Cruz, I think, has three with Real, one with Bayern. Casemiro and Modric both have four with Real. Benzema has four. There's a bunch of squad players there that have been there for you know three of them. 
um, like the likes of Isco and Asensio and people like that. And Bale has been there for all four. I know he's he's not a factor this season, but there is a, there is a nous to Real that you just can't buy. You can only get by winning, and and they have a squad of winners, but. We do as well, like you've just said. And, and the difference between the two teams back in 2018, other than the talent deficit, they were a better team, there's no doubt. We'll, we'll go through that in a few minutes. Was they knew how to win games like that, and we just didn't. It was as simple as that. We didn't know how to win a European Cup final. We didn't know how to win a final. We'd lost the UEFA Cup final two years previous. We'd lost the League Cup final. We'd lost the FA Cup final. We'd lost our three previous finals. The one we'd won before that was against a very poor Cardiff team. And it took us a penalty shootout to do so. So we didn't know how to win big games. They did. And that's in large part why they're in this game. Because I don't think anyone would really make the argument that Real are one of the two or even three best teams in Europe right now. I think us, City and Bayern probably sit above them. They're in the next tier. They're very good. But they're not what I would say is an elite team right now. But they have that elite mentality, that knowledge of how to win. They've got a manager who's won this competition three times before as well. He knows how to win it. He knows how to win it in different places. He won it with Milan. In both times he won it with Milan, there was question marks over their team. When they beat Juventus, Juventus were the better team at the time. And if Nedved hadn't been suspended, Juventus might have won that game. They beat us in 07 when they really shouldn't have been in the competition because of their part in the bribery scandal that was Calcio Poli. And then he won it at Real, obviously, in 2014. So they just have a lot of guys who know how to win these games. But in recent years, our lads have learned how to win these games. and. The other big factor that I think is a little bit underrated here is our lads also know what it's like to lose one of these games. Sadio, Moe, Bobby, Henderson, Milner, Trent, Virgil and Robbo all know what it's like to lose a European Cup final. They all know what that feels like. And that can be a major driving factor for a team because you can be guaranteed none of them ever want to feel that again. They don't want to wake up on Sunday morning in Paris and feel like they did when they woke up Sunday morning in Kiev. Real's players don't really know that feeling. So we often talk about how there's an edge to Liverpool, how Liverpool players didn't always have the clearest path to the top level. You know, we talk about Robbo and the tribulations he went through having to play non-league and work in Marks and Spencers. We talk about Virgil having to travel, you know, an unusual path to this point. A lot of our players have been through a lot of tough times to get to this point. Rails players don't really know what that's like, and maybe that's an edge for us as well. It might well be. I mean, it's really difficult to know what aspects of a player's character, if you like, is going to be called upon until the match starts to happen itself. I mean, that kind of that kind of um, determination and drive and all the rest of it, if you like, the, the knowing what it takes to overcome hardships. I mean, I mean, you mentioned Luis Diaz there. If you want to talk about upbringings and everything, he's probably top of the pile out of both squads, isn't he? Um, 
if your team goes behind in a game, I think that that's probably when you see that kind of personality come through mm-hmm. and make a bit of a difference. If you go in front, maybe it's a little bit different. You know, maybe that's the other side of the equation. That's now their, you know, their their professional mentality, their ability to concentrate and follow tactical instruction, all the rest of it. So maybe that's slightly a different side of it. So if that is the case, I hope that we don't need the other side and that we don't go behind in this game at any point because, you know, we all want to have fingernails left by full time, don't we? Um, There's unquestionably the biggest part outside of blind luck or something stupid happening, like a third minute red card or whatever. I think mentality is always going to play the biggest part in cup competitions. You know, we've all seen rubbish teams go on decent cup runs just because they have this unbelievable team spirit once they start winning a couple of games and it you know gets close to looking like they're going to go on and do something i mean if anyone watched roma the other night it's a terrible competition and i don't care that it's you know uefa competition it's still a rubbish rubbish third tier competition but look how much they put into that game because that was a final because that's what that run meant for them because they'd never as a club in their entire history won a proper let's say uefa um owned competition that that was historic for them and as the run went on it became more and more of a thing their league form probably suffered as a result of them focusing mm. so much on this ability to to end this trophyless streak that they were on that kind of thing i think makes a big difference and so if you take that as an additional i don't know binding agent if you like for the team and how much they'll fight for each other and everything Maybe Madrid have that side of it because of the run that they've had to get to the final. But then Liverpool had their own, uh, obviously, semi-final moments against Villarreal when they came back and we turned it on again all of a sudden. And maybe that was a nice, timely reminder that sometimes you have to. You have to dig deep and you have to be able to overcome difficulties. And as we said on on Raw after the uh, after the final Premier League match, Liverpool have been behind in a lot of games recently and we've come back to win all of them. Yeah. And look, Real have done really well. I think it's like 19 or 20 points they've taken in La Liga from losing positions. So, you know, they're not a team that gives up either. But I I look at our team and I feel like if we go out and play at our best, we can blow them away. I look at them and I don't feel like they could blow us away. I feel like if they win, it's going to be a really tight game. I think we can win a really tight game as well. But I think if it's going to be in any way lopsided, it will be in our favour. I just, they don't scare me. The, the team that we played in Kiev, that team scared me because there was just so much talent there. And there was guys in their prime at the very peaks of their powers. This team... I mean, would I be wrong to say that? Right, let's let's go through their 18 team compared to now. So they had Kaylor Navas, very good goalkeeper. Carvey, uh, Courtois is a better goalkeeper than him. I think that's fair to say. Carvial will start right back. He started right back in 2018, went off injured. But he was a lot better then than he is now. They had Rafa Varane as the right side centre-back. That was Varane at his very apex. Now they've got Militao. I think that's a significant drop-off. They had Ramos. Now they have Alaba. I would much rather have Alaba because I can trust Alaba, but he's still not a centre-back. 
He will always be a left-back playing centre-back. And you can see it in some of the positional stuff he does. They had Marcelo then. They have Ferland Mendy now. I, I think Marcelo was a substantially better player. The midfield will likely be the same. It will be Modric, Casemiro and Cruz. But 2022's Modric, Casemiro and Cruz collectively and individually aren't as good as 2018's versions. Up front, Isco played sort of the right-sided role. I'd expect it to be Federico Valverde in this game, so that's an upgrade for them. I think Benzema now is better than Benzema then, although less mobile. But then it's Vinicius, and as good as he is, back then it was Cristiano. At arguably the very peak of his powers. This team doesn't hit the same way, Carl. This team doesn't scare me like that. I would say, other than Valverde, Courtois, and Benzema, this version of Benzema, I think they're worse everywhere else, bar the Alaba-Ramos thing, where Alaba's a better player, but Ramos was a better centre-back in that he was actually a centre-back. Well, I could debate that one with you, I suppose, but I can't be bothered today. You know, um, you know, you know my feelings <laughs> yeah. on Ramos. I think he's the most yeah, overrated yeah. centre back ever. But I still, I watch Alaba play, and he still strikes me as someone who plays like a left back who's who's been shifted in to cover mm. for an injury or someone's been sent off. Like you'll often see a left footed right winger will cut in against Mendy. Mendy's not good at turning over his right shoulder. But Alaba's brilliant at going to meet that defender. That's where he excels. He steps out, he goes to meet that winger who's cut in. The problem then is that when the ball is fed inside, he goes following the ball and doesn't follow the man. And I'm, I'm picturing scenarios in my head where Salah picks the ball up, drives at Mendy, cuts in, Mendy gets all caught up in a mess. Alaba steps to meet him. Salah fl- switches it sideways to Mane. And makes the run behind Alaba and Alaba doesn't track him. Because I've seen that thing happen multiple times with David Alaba, both for Real and for Bayern as a centre-back. Because in his head, the touchline is there. Because in his head, he's still a left-back. I think when you play a certain position for 12 years, as he did, it's very hard to lose those bits and pieces of that touchline is to my left. I know where everything is. I need to go inside to meet that run because he's going to head into the box. But the issue is when you're at centre-back, he's already in the box. You're not going to meet him there. You're going to be trailing him there. Yeah, I mean, again, something that I've spoken about a lot of times before. I think centre-backs, even more important than how good they are individually, is how they work as a partnership. And as much as I thought Ramos was a massively massively overhyped individual that pairing worked Rafael Varane and and Sergio Ramos worked I think because Varane was much more level-headed much more Mm. um much more capable of of covering when Ramos went walkabout for you know to the halfway line or left wing as he sometimes did or into the center forward position it worked for Ramos individually and he looked obviously quite impactful when it when it came off but a lot of the time it was because Varane was able to cover. Marcelo was unbelievable engine on him and was able to get up and down all the time. Even if he wasn't, you know, technically the best defender, he was always, always in covering positions as well. Uh, I, I definitely agree that the unit and the length of time that they spent together, that defensive quartet, worked for them 
much more often than not. Mm. Certainly, certainly enough to allow the forward line to work as often as that did, which was really, really regular, obviously. So I definitely think that the defence as a whole is a downgrade right now. But I would actually say that you know, I, I quite like Kayla Navas, but Courtois has just had a brilliant season. Like, unbelievable oh yeah, he's been spectacular. So that is a, that is quite the upgrade there. So you know, maybe it balances out overall, but at the end of the day, he cannot save everything if it's in the right positions and he faces enough shots. So hopefully it is that defensive quartet that we can make a little bit um, of use of because, again, the partnership between Aloha and Militao has not been perfect. It's been pretty good. I think Militao, for the most part, has been sort of a 7.5 out of 10 uh, across the board, but he's had 4 out of 10 games and he's had 9 out of 10 games as well. See, that's really the thing with him. Though, when, when he has a bad game, like it's spectacularly bad. Yeah, it's meltdown. It's yes. It's meltdown. And that's what he had at the Etihad. And Alaba was the same at the Etihad. They were both appalling. Because City got lots of movement in the box and they didn't know what to do with it. Um, the other factor as well, in terms of that defence versus this defence, is that defence got an awful lot more help from that midfield. Because back then, Modric, Cruz and Casemiro could cover a lot more ground than they can cover now. And while they're all still elite with the ball at their feet, off the ball, I think there's massive question marks over all three of them. Especially Casemiro, who was very, very lucky not to get sent off in the second leg against City before the comeback began. He had at least three that should have been yellow cards before he even got booked. So if we can get in around him and get him on an early yellow card, that could be a big, big hole. We could take him out of the game a little bit. I do think they mitigate the lost legs in midfield, obviously, by playing Valverde. Do you see anything different from them than that team. Courtois, Carvial, Militao, Alaba, Mendy, Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, Valverde, Benzema and Vinicius. Only if they start Rodrigo instead of uh, Valverde on the right-hand side. And it would be much more of a 4-3-3 all the time, whereas when mm. Valverde starts, obviously they tilt back to a, a four-man midfield. Quite often you'll see it look basically like a diamond when they're when they're able to be off the ball and in possession, uh, sorry, in in position, out of possession. Um, but I don't think that he'll start there. That would be quite bold. So I think for a, a final, probably you go one notch below that, don't you? Um, yeah. The, I was just about to say something else there about someone you said. What were you talking about before you went through that lineup one last time there? The lack of legs in midfield? Oh, yes, that's right. So I think I've been working this season basically off a theory that uh, no Brazilian holding midfielder is allowed to be booked until the eighth foul. So Casemiro and Fernandinho and our own Fabinho have probably made about 66 collective yellow card offences and only been punished twice between them so far. Um, so hopefully that's the case um, as, as it goes on in the final as well and it can just be allowed to... You know, the only difference is the when Fab gets a yellow card, I think Fab gets better. Because I think his timing gets more locked in. When Casemiro gets a yellow card, he becomes very concerned about making any challenges. Like, against City, he got booked. And about 40 seconds later, a City player ran past him with the ball. And he just olayed him. It was like watching a matador just spin himself out of the way not to make any contact. 
So I, I do think that there is a little bit of a rick in him sometimes when he has a little bit of doubt in his head. So, right, let's look at our team then. Now, bear in mind, our team in 2018 was Loris Karius, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Dejan Lovren, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson, James Milner, Jordan Henderson, Ginny Wijnaldum, Salah, Bobby, and Mane. I'm ex- we, we all, Alison will start in goal. That's obvious. And that is about as big an upgrade as there has ever been. That is a bigger upgrade than Keno Navas to Courtois. So we, we, we have outstripped them there. Trent will be the right back. This Trent is substantially better than that Trent who was only a baby at the time. Not Dejan Lovren is an enormous upgrade on Dejan Lovren. And either Joe Gomez, or sorry, well, it could be Joe Gomez, Joel Matip or Ibu Kanate is a huge upgrade on simply not for, uh, Dejan Lovren. But who do you think starts as the right-sided centre-back in this game? Is it Ibu? Is it Joel? Could it be Joe? Could Klopp go with a bit of a curveball and put Joe in? with his recovery pace to try and deal with Vinicius? No. I think if um, if it was going to be about recovery pace, it would just be Canate, if that was the you know deciding factor. I don't think there's any need to go any more surprising than that. I've said all along from you know the moment we basically knew we'd be playing Real Madrid that Matip would be playing this final uh, because of Benzema's... Just ridiculous movement, to be honest. His wily nature and his ability to just fashion space and create things. I know uh, Vinny is obviously the, the big threat in terms of the counter-attack and the runs in behind, stretching on all the rest of it. And that's absolutely true. And that would probably lean towards Kanate. But Kanate, while an absolutely excellent defender, and I wouldn't be worried, per se, if he was to start this game, I just think that he has had a few issues with people making the runs across him or dropping off into space or anything like that. Just just as part of he is still a young defender and hasn't faced elite forwards with elite movement too many times yet, just because mm. he hasn't come across them yet. So I just think that maybe for a final, Klopp would be tempted to go with you know the experience and the sort of the slightly calmer head, maybe all that kind of thing. But then it got to like the final two weeks of the season and Kanate was in unbelievable form. And I was thinking, you can't drop him. You know, you just cannot. He's got everything that we want and he's playing really, really well and his confidence is obviously really high. And then in the last two games, he's made a couple of mistakes. And I don't really know what to think now. So I'm kind of back to where I was with Matip starting. Just because I would the... say though, hmm. who was playing next to him in those last two games? Hmm, Matip. It wasn't Virgil. No, but I also don't think that Matip caused him to miss time a jump. No, but Matip doesn't talk to him the way Virgil does. Ibu with Virgil this season has been a very different animal to Ibu with Matip. All of Ibu's shakier games, and you can go back through them from Milan at home in the Champions League right through to Wolves the weekend. All of them came next to Joel because Joel isn't a talker. Joel just gets on and does his thing and sort of Let's the other fella do his thing because normally it's Virgil, and Joel doesn't need to be talked to. Joel doesn't need to talk to anybody. Joel just does Joel's thing. Ibu is still, like you said, he's really young. He needs someone chatting to him, and Virgil is nonstop. So I do think that might mitigate. Now, I I was 
completely in the camp of Kanate should start because of his pace to help with Vinicius. But I have to say, the more I think about it over the last couple of weeks, and it's, it's nothing to do with the actual performances. I, th- that wasn't a bad mistake. He got his feet in a mess. That's not a bad mistake. That's nonsense. Um, he he put Darwin Nunes in his pocket in that game away to Benfica. He got his feet in a mess. It happens to everybody. The more I think about it, though, the more I do think the Benzema movement and just those... It's not even movement. It's the it's the fake movement that Benzema does where he fakes a run somewhere and a centre-back sees him take a first step and goes galloping off and doesn't check to see whether Benzema's actually come with him. The little nuances of Benzema's game, I think they do lean to a Joel start. I think Joel's, like you said, the calm head. Nothing rattles Joel Matip. Nothing rattles him at all. And he is one of those who's been in a Champions League final and had a big performance. He was outstanding in that game against Spurs. I do think you run it back. I think you go Joel and Virgil. And also, he start, uh, Kanate started the FA Cup final. And so in, mm. just in terms of you know, squad management and everybody knowing that they've got you know a role and are important and all the rest of it, I, I did think at the time it was going to be Kanate for the domestic one and Matip for the... European, obviously, because they have kind of dovetailed across the second half of the season completely. And again, this would just reinforce that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, again, Matt, a massive upgrade on Lovren. Kanate, uh, a big upgrade on Lovren as well, obviously. Virgil, I think, now is better than Virgil was then. Now, I don't think he's quite at the level of 18, 19 Virgil, but I do think he's better than 17, 18 Virgil in that... I think he reads the game better. I think he's become more comfortable as the organizer, as the leader of the team. So I think we're, you know, we know we've got the gold standard there. This version of Andy Robertson is better than that version of Andy Robertson. This version of Andy Robertson might be the most complete fullback in the world. And I include Trent in that because Robbo's good everywhere. There's no actual weakness in Robbo's game. Now, there's still one or two little things in Trent's defensive game that he needs to iron out. Whereas Robbo is ridiculous. And I, I think that back four is just absolutely outstanding. It's better than City's back four individually and collectively. It's better than PSG's by a country mile. And it's better than Chelsea's. It's better than anything, and I do mean anything, Real Madrid have seen this year. Do you know what I think should happen if this game does go the distance like through 90 through extra time and it's still a draw instead of a penalty shootout again because you know we've all had enough of them i think we should just put robo on one half uh, sorry on one side of the pitch on the halfway line and fede valverde on the other side of the pitch on the halfway line and just let them run and it's yeah. either whoever catches the other one first over the other side of the pitch or whoever just you know drops down and has run out of batteries completely whichever one's left standing last or catches the other one that's your winner of the Champions League this year. That's not a bad shout. We could also do a bleep test among the entire squads after the game. Let them play the game and then do a bleep test. And as fit as Fede Valverde might be, nobody's beaten James Milner. Not one person on this earth is beating James Milner in a bleep test. He won't run fast, but by God, he'll run a lot. Um. Right, into midfield, and again, we are much improved on what we had. Now, Henderson, the individual, is quite a way off what Henderson, the individual, was in 2018. 
However, Henderson as an eight, I think, is better than Milner was as an eight at that point. So that's that. Henderson, Fabinho and Naby is the midfield I'm expecting to start, Carl. I know it looks like Thiago is going to be fit, but I think he's going to start Naby and keep Thiago on the bench to bring him on in about 65. Because I think if you start Thiago and he has to go off on 10 minutes, let's just say he gets a reoccurrence, then you're in big trouble because you've got, you'll bring on Naby at that point and you're kind of left yourself snookered in midfield where you've only got Milner or Curtis Jones to bring on for the next 80 minutes. So I feel like starting Naby is the move here. I think it will also depend on how Liverpool want to start from, um, you know, from a, an aggressive attacking perspective. Obviously, there's no replacement for Diago in terms of firing the passes between the lines and that ridiculous turn away from danger that he has and just everything that he's very, very good at, right? But if you're talking about a really, really high press, if you're talking about being aggressive and getting to the ball and making Gross and Modric turn backwards and make sure they try and keep possession with a little bit more difficult turns and not so much time on the ball and all the rest of it, you can start Cater with that anyway and Henderson and just tell them, you know, go all out. And if it comes to it on 60 that you need to change both of them, and you bring on a Thiago plus one, whoever the other one is, whether it's you know, Elliot or Jones or whoever it is that comes on at that stage, even Milner at that stage, that's still maintaining the balance, I think. And you've got a reasonable chance, obviously, of a really aggressive approach getting you an early goal or getting you at least on the front foot in the game. Maybe not dominating it in terms of possession in the way that Thiago might help you do. But if we take that other approach, like I say, if we're, if we're a lot more on the front foot and trying to really hem them in and trying to keep them pinned back in their own half and have the tempo really high. I think he's less of a miss in that regard if you've got Henderson and Keita. If Thiago hadn't gotten hurt, if him and Fab were 100%, no issues at all, I don't think Henderson is starting this game. I think he's going Naby, Fab, Thiago because I think they match up much better with that Real team. Henderson is the one that Real won't be all that concerned about. But he is going to start because there's doubts over two of our midfielders. So he's going to he's going to start Henderson and Fab plus one. And whoever the other one is, be it be it Thiago, be it Naby, is a he's either a great player in Thiago's case or a very good player in Naby's case. So it's a strong situation for us to be in. And it is a much better midfield, obviously, than we had in 2018. Fab is levels and levels above Henderson as a six. And be it Naby or be it Thiago, as good as Ginny was, Naby and Thiago are better players than him. Um, in attack, then, I don't think there's any real choice to be made here. I think Salah, Mane, Diaz is the three. But do you think he might go a different way? No, I don't. I've, I have pondered this one a bit. I, th- I was basically trying to think of whether it's just too obvious. That's that's the only thing, because, I mean, it is the obvious choice. Salah, not been in tremendous form recently, but still top scorer, got himself a goal on the last day of the season. Maybe the confidence comes flooding back, blah, blah, blah. Sadio Mane has been our best attacker over the second half of the season, and Luis Diaz is just unstoppable force of nature. You want him in the team, simple as that. So... I was basically trying to think of, do you want one of those on the bench? You know, does it fill mm. you with less optimism 
bringing on you know Jota or Firmino given the form and fitness of them at the moment. But basically, that's I think for a final, it's got to be the wrong approach overall. It's different if one of them's injured or you know not fully fit, like we've just been speaking about for the midfield or that. But that's not the case with these. I think you just have to start the three you think are best. Let them get you know the 60, 70 minutes and see if they score in that time. They could score three in that time. They could score one each and each set one up in that time. If you've got if you start with someone less in form or less good touch about them or not as sharp, are they going to ruin attacking moves? Are they going to spurn the chances which do fall their way? Are they just not really going to quite be there? Remember uh, again in the final against Spurs how bad Harry Kane was because they rushed him back. Remember. Yeah. Bobby Firmino didn't really have that much of an impact either because we rushed him back uh, as quickly as we possibly could. I think it's really important. It's a final. We we do have the depth now. We don't have to rely on, you know, putting Mane in after he's injured because we've literally got nobody else. And otherwise, it's going to be, you know, an out of position, uh, out of position Oxley Chamberlain up front or something like that. We're not in that position anymore. I think you just start as strong as you can, the most informed players, and then you know, if it so happens that you need attacking options off the bench later. Well, there's no reason to really fear Dibble Karigi coming on a sub for his final game. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Like, so back in, first of all, for for every every time you're on social media for the next, what are we? We're just under thirty hours from kickoff. Every time you're on social media for the next twenty nine and a half hours, and you see someone say, "Ha ha ha, Vinicius versus Trent." Just remind them that on the other side of things is Luis Diaz versus Danny Carvial, who's basically a corpse at this point. So, you know, Trent will be fine. Danny Carvial will not. If Diaz plays in this game the way he did in the FA Cup final, Real are in big trouble. And the idea of bringing on Jota against tired legs, Bobby against tired legs, that's something that fills me with, with confidence. You look at the bench options, and we're a little bit shy in midfield. I, I think that's fair. We, we we have basically, at the minute, we've got four midfielders that you're really comfortable with, plus Curtis, plus Milner, who in certain situations, fine, but not always. But you look at them, and back then they had Garrett Bale on the bench, who was still like a proper match winner. Now I look at their bench... Rodrigo, I mean, he's so inconsistent. He's a nothing player in a lot of games. Camavinga's the big one. He's changed game for, for the games for them this year, but he's also a midfielder. Like, he's not a match winner. But we've got others that could come on. We've got Divock, a proven match winner off the bench. Like, if Klopp is in a situation where it's desperation mode for us, there's also Tacky who could come on as an ace and give you a goal threat. I think we're better in our first 11 than they are. I think we're better in terms of our our depth options as well. Like, if they need to replace a centre-back, I know he's one of your children, but, like, they're bringing on Nacho, who's just not what he was three years ago. We have Ibu and Joe Gomez and Costas if we need to bring on a defensive sub. They've got the corpse of Marcelo and a past his prime Nacho. There's, there's not really a whole lot that strikes me as things we need to fear, other than Benzema Vinicius. That's kind of it with them, Carl. That's the only thing I worry about with them. Everything else I look at and think we can cope with everything they offer. 
I don't know that they can cope with what we have to offer. And we've got three monsters up front, more to come off the bench. And I think we're better in midfield than them as well. Yeah, I definitely think Liverpool have the depth, but I think that that is pretty much the blame of Real Madrid themselves because they've had the depth and haven't used it over years, which has left them with stagnant midfielders moving on and forwards not really hitting the ceilings that they could have done. People like Marco Asensio, for example. These players are really good and could have like single-game impacts, no problem. Obviously, you're looking at what Rodrigo first sub off the bench for them. Mm. Eden Hazard will be on the bench and Gareth Bale, who you just mentioned. But, I mean, the fear of them is more of what was before, not what we've yes. seen over the last two years. It's reputation. It's the same as yeah. Isco. The, the mm. idea of Isco was always much more mm. enticing than the actual reality of Isco. Yeah. And the... The memories of Bale and Hazard is what's scary, not what they are now. They've got two goals between them this season. Yeah, I mean, look, anyone can come on the bit, come off the bench and have just an unbelievable 20 minutes or an impact or just remember how to play football in some of those cases. But realistically, as first-team options, you are looking at Rodrigo and Camavinga as their ones who have come off the bench to have really good impacts. And then behind them is Asensio. Danny Ceballos, in the latter part of the season, has also been sort of a bit of a go-to for mm. Ancelotti. But again, we've played Danny Ceballos supposedly with air quotes here going on behind the microphone at his peak. And we absolutely wiped the floor with him in that Arsenal side. He couldn't get yeah. near the ball. And this is a better side than when he played against them anyway. Um, I've just seen Divo Carigi's not expected to actually make the match day squad in the end. He's not recovered from that injury, which disappointing and all the rest of it. But again, still fine. We've still got... Yeah, he's Firmino still would have been ahead of him. Like. Yeah, Jota would have been ahead of him. You've mentioned Minamino. And it's not just those, it is the, the changes in midfield which can make it make a difference for Liverpool, whether it's Cade or Diago comes off the bench. Curtis Jones, we've, we've brought Costa Simicas has had a really good impact down one flank. I mean, imagine you're Danny Carvajal and you've had Andy Robertson and you've had the help from uh, Valverde coping with him, but you've had to deal with Luis Diaz. And oh. then maybe Diaz has gone off at this point. Maybe it's you know Jota on or something else. But then Valverde has gone off and Rodrigo has come on and Andy Robertson goes off and Costa Simicas comes on. That's suddenly, even though maybe the individuals are a little bit reduced, overall, that's a net game for us down that side of the pitch. Yeah. Because again, the depth is there. The strength and depth is there for Liverpool, where it's possibly not for them. Not, not, not to the same extent. Ex- not to the same extent, if I can get all my words out. The other thing as well is, just in terms of goal threats, they had four players score more than three goals this season. Rodrigo got nine. Asensio got 12. Finish has got 21 and Benzema scored 44. They're, they're so heavily reliant on Benzema. Whereas with us, Mo got 31, Sadio got 23, Jota got 21, Bobby got 11, Taki got 10, Fab got 8, Diaz got 6, only played less than half the season, Divock got 6, again played less than half the season, and Nabi got 4. Like we just have more goal threats than them. And even you know, like they had, what, five lads scored three. We had six lads scored three. There's just more goals in our team. We're better than them defensively. And we're better than going forward. They're so heavily reliant on one guy. And he's great. He is absolutely great. But he's going up against the best centre-back in the world. And if he decides he doesn't fancy any of him and floats across the other side... Well, this season, Joel Matip has been top six, top seven in the world at worst. So if any team is set up 
to stop Benzema. It probably is us. And then they're reliant on Vinicius, who, tremendous player, tremendous player, but he's a kid. And this is his first time in one of these games. I think we win this game, Carl. I am going to say here and now, my prediction is we win this game 3-1. That's a lot of goals for a final. We haven't seen it is a lot of goals for a final. But this Liverpool team is due a bunch of goals. Are you, are you talking 90 minutes as well? Oh, it's over in 90. Okay. I'm gonna I think we go minutes. two up. I think we go two up. I think they open up, get one back. And then I think we catch them on a counter-attack. Because I don't think they're going to have... I don't think... I know there's five subs, but if I look at their team, I think there's five or six lads in that team who just from a physical point of view won't hold up if it goes to extra time. Whereas I look at our lad and maybe in midfield, but our lads are incredibly fit. That's the other thing. We're a a much fitter team than they are. Mm. So... I think we win 3-1. I'm going to go for 90 minutes as well, and I'm going to pin a good deal of hopes on this big start and um, hopefully get them on the back foot quite early and most importantly of all, doing what City and Chelsea didn't do and put the game out of reach in mm. terms of you know the, the chances you are capable of conceding yourselves. So I'm going to go for that. We go 2-0 up, sit, and they get one back and then we don't counter-attack. We sit and we hold that lead and I'm going to go 2-1. Yeah, that's fair. It's absolutely fair. I think if the other, the other factor here is they've got small centre backs. I know Militao's great in the air, but he's still only six one. Alaba's not good in the air. Not not even slightly good in the air. Carvajal's not good in the air. Mendy's not good in the air. Neither are Cruz or Modric. So when they're defending us on set pieces, they're basically going to be relying on. Benzema, Casemiro, and Militao. I don't know how any of them stop Virgil or Joel on a set piece. If our set piece delivery is good, I think there's at least one goal from that route for us. And if Ibu starts, he's even better on them than Joel is. So, yeah, I I think we win this game. I do. I think we win this game. And... um, and we will reconvene. Are you on Raw for the final? Can't honestly remember. It might be. I mean, I guess if we win, everyone's just piling in anyway. Same as last time. I assume that is the case, that everybody will pile in. Uh, do we have it? I, let me just see. God, it doesn't look like we do. Why do we not have this? Um. Well, me and Trev will be on. I'm assuming it was meant to be you. Now, I know you might be working and whatever, but... It'll be on Discord, so it'll be open season. So pile on if we win. And if we lose, feel free not to. And me and Trev will just cry for an hour. And that'll be the content. What do you mean, if we lose? What's what's this ending on a negative point? It's a very, very, very small possibility. But it is a possibility. But we're winning this game. We're winning this game. Nobody has sorted this out who's on Raw. You've all been too busy getting hold of my address to send me bloody foam hands. Yes, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, thing of beauty. Perfect timing as well. Well done uh, to all at Liverpool Retail. 
Um, and especially to the team in, in charge of packaging. Carl was very appreciative of that. Right, Mr. Matchett, have you anything you want to plug before we go? Every single scouted that we've done this season and every single one we'll be doing over the course of the summer. Ask us loads and loads of questions. We'll do loads mm. and loads of stuff for you all. And uh, thanks for sticking with us across the course of the season. It's been a bit of a ride, hasn't it? It has. It has. And uh, I think we may need to bring in young Drinkle here now to confirm my faith as having finished bottom in the uh, the minutes league. So, Guy, do you have the official numbers? Uh, not quickly enough to do it live, but I know you oh, lost Jesus by one. Jesus Christ. I, I lost not... by one. You lost by one. That's how it is. It's harsh. It is harsh. I Guy won. Carl finished mid-table. He is... Brighton. Brighton. And I lost. I am... I am Burnley. I went... I put up a decent scrap. Almost clawed him back. But no, I, I have I have been relegated. So next year, oh, this next podcast year. has been hosted by somebody else. And that makes you Manchester City, by the way, Guy. So um, enjoy that. I'll right, folks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening all season. As Carl said, we will be carrying these on through the summer and uh, relying on your questions, relying on transfers happening and and all that kind of stuff, Uh, not just Liverpool, but across the, the greater footballing world. Here is to Liverpool going to Paris tomorrow evening and bringing home number seven because we fucking deserve it. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.